This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Ten years of Francis. A disaster. A catastrophe. On March 13, 2013, Jorge Cardinal Bergoglio became Pope Francis. At first, his election was viewed with approval by most Catholics. The idea of a non-European pope appealed to those who thought that the church needed to accept new points of view. His decision to live in the Vatican guesthouse rather than the papal apartments made him appear to be humble. Pictures of the broadly smiling pope soon appeared on television and t-shirts. True to form, the Argentine pope made his liberal tendencies clear within days of his election. It has now been 10 years since that election. In this essay, Mr. Luis Sergio Salomeo looks back and evaluates that decade. Buonasera. Good evening. With this commonplace greeting, devoid of any solemnity or unction, Francis addressed the thousands of the faithful waiting in St. Peter's Square for their newly elected Pope. These words set the style of his pontificate, informality, abandonment of protocol, and disdain for ceremony. Ten years later, recently deceased Cardinal George Pell stated that this pontificate is a disaster in many or most respects, a catastrophe. He added, Rome has spoken, the issue is settled. Today is, Rome has spoken, confusion grows. Unquote. On October 1, 2013, then-Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, Archbishop Emeritus of Washington, lectured at Villanova University in Pennsylvania. He discussed the behind-the-scenes aspects of the unknown Cardinal Jorge Marie Bergoglio's election to the papacy. He recounted that, before the conclave, a, quote, influential Italian gentleman, unquote, went looking for him at Rome's North American College, where he was lodging, and told him that if elected, Bergoglio, quote, could reform the church, unquote. Five years, he said, would suffice. Whether or not the account of the defrocked archbishop and former cardinal is true, Francis has certainly done nothing else in these ten years but reform the church founded by our Lord Jesus Christ to create a new so-called synodal church to replace the hierarchical church. Our Lord Jesus Christ founded his church as a hierarchical society and established the Supreme Pontiff as its visible head. This is a truth of faith defined in the First Vatican Council, which cast an anathema on anyone who denies it. Quote, If anyone then says that the blessed Apostle Peter was not established by the Lord Christ as the chief of all the apostles and the visible head of the whole militant church, or that the same received great honor but did not receive from the same our Lord Jesus Christ directly and immediately the primacy in true and proper jurisdiction, let him be anathema. Unquote. For his part, St. Pius X emphasized the Church's hierarchical character. Quote, the Scriptures teach us, 
and the tradition of the fathers confirms the teaching that the church is the mystical body of Christ, ruled by the pastors and doctors, a society of men containing within its own fold chiefs who have full and perfect powers for ruling, teaching, and judging. It follows that the church is essentially an unequal society, that is, a society comprising two categories of persons, the pastors and the flock, those who occupy a rank in the different degrees of the hierarchy and the multitude of the faithful. Unquote. Contrary to scripture and the magisterium, Francis wants to invert the order in the church by placing at its base the power to teach and govern as an inverted pyramid. That is what he said in a ceremony commemorating the 50th anniversary of the institution of the Synod of Bishops. Quote, Jesus founded the church by setting at her head the apostolic college, in which the apostle Peter is the rock. See Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. The one who must confirm his brethren in the faith. See St. Luke chapter 22 verse 32. But in this church, the synodal church, as in an inverted pyramid, the top is located beneath the base. Unquote. As a result, this new synodal church is no longer a teaching church, fulfilling the command of our Lord Jesus Christ to the apostles, Go ye into the whole world, and preach the gospel to every creature. See St. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Indeed, it is a church that listens to the faithful. Quote, A synodal church is a church which listens, which realizes that listening is more than simply hearing. It is mutual listening in which everyone has something to learn. The faithful people, the College of Bishops, the Bishop of Rome— all listening to each other and all listening to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, in order to know what he says to the churches. Unquote. Therefore, it is a church without magisterium in which the Holy Spirit speaks to everyone equally and directly, a charismatic church without any defined structure or doctrine as advocated by the monetist heretics, Wycliffe, Huss, or modern-day Pentecostals. In addition to subverting the church's hierarchical order and destroying the notion of magisterium, Francis goes further by distorting the nature of God himself. For example, the document on human fraternity, which he signed on February 4, 2019, along with the grand imam of Al-Hazhar, Ahmed Al-Tayeb, in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, states that, quote, the pluralism and diversity of religions are willed by God in his wisdom, unquote. Changing this phrase to the direct order, in his wisdom, God willed the pluralism and the diversity of religions. This implies that God wants to be worshipped as a Trinitarian God by Christians and as a Unitarian God by Muslims who fight and deny the Trinity 
and as a god immanent in creatures by Buddhists and other Eastern religions that do not accept a personal god. Now, such a so-called god would be a contradictory being, a pseudo-god who accepts both good and evil, error and truth. A contradictory being cannot be the supreme wisdom. Therefore, it cannot be the living and true God. To accept such a conception of God is equivalent to denying the existence of the one and triune God, leading to atheism or pantheism. That brings us to the encyclical Laudato Si, where Francis presents a pantheistic view of the Holy Trinity. Indeed, it has statements such as, The Son, i.e. the Word, united himself to this earth when he was formed in the womb of Mary. The Spirit is intimately present at the very heart of the universe, inspiring and bringing new pathways. And, The ultimate destiny of the universe is in the fullness of God, which has already been attained by the risen Christ, fulcrum of universal maturation. See paragraph number 83. This vision runs along the lines of the pantheist and evolutionist mysticism of Father Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, S.J., who is referred to in a footnote in that same paragraph. Quote, In this horizon, we can see the contribution of Father Teilhard de Chardin. The destruction of certainty in divine revelation, scripture, and tradition is another consequence of the affirmation that God desires all religions, however contradictory they may be. It leads to complete subjectivism and does away with the universal and immutable rules to guide human thinking and action. This subjectivism in matters of faith leads to moral relativism. The church should no longer seek to convert people, to make them abandon error and evil, but only to, quote, accompany them, unquote, accepting their erroneous beliefs and so-called diversities of their state of life. In the name of that diversity, Francis opened the gates for adulterers to receive communion, supported civil unions for same-sex couples, acquiesced that Belgian bishops bless same-sex couples, and scandalously and effusively received homosexual and so-called transgender couples. Sin is an offense against God for refusing to fulfill his will, as manifested in the commandments. A serious and voluntary offense constitutes a mortal sin, which deprives man of sanctifying grace and keeps him away from God's friendship, putting him on the road to hell. St. Thomas says that, Whatever sins turn man away from God so as to destroy charity, considered in themselves, incur a debt of eternal punishment. In the new conception of God and the Church, there is never any punishment for sin since the Creator, displaying love without wisdom, would not mind being offended. His mercy would disregard His justice. Instead, St. Thomas states, 
Mercy without justice is the mother of disillusion, and justice without mercy is cruelty. Unquote. But if there is no punishment for a sinner who dies impenitent, hell, a place of eternal atonement for an offense against the eternal God, is non-existent. In a recent interview, consistent with his doctrine of mercy without justice, Francis denied that hell is a place. Quote, Hell is not a place. Hell is a state. There are people who live continuously in a hell. Hell is a state, a state of the heart, of the soul, a posture in the face of life. Unquote. One already lives in this state here on earth. Francis asks, And who goes to hell, to that hell, to that state? And he answers, One already starts living hell here. Unquote. However, the scriptures, tradition, and the magisterium of the church have always considered hell as much as heaven, not only as a state, but also as a place. Taken in their usual sense, our Lord's words concerning hell could not designate a place more clearly. Quote, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. See Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. The Son of Man shall send his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all scandals, and them that work iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 42. Where their worm dies not, and the fire is not extinguished. See Mark chapter 9, verses 43 and 47. The idea of place is indicated by Christ's removal of the damned, casting them out of his kingdom into a furnace of burning fire where the worm of iniquity does not die. That has always been the belief of the church. For example, the Second Council of Lyon, 1274, stated that those who die in mortal sin, quote, descend to hell to be punished with different punishments, unquote. In 1341, upon defining this doctrine, Pope Benedict XII warned, Whosoever thereafter presumes knowingly and persistently to hold, assert, preach, teach, or defend in word or writing the contrary of our aforesaid definitions or determinations, or a single one of them, shall be proceeded against in the manner due to him as against a heretic, and incurs the indignation of Almighty God and his blessed apostles Peter and Paul. Unquote. In the interview above, Francis suggests that there is no one in hell, not even Judas. Attempting to prove this theory, he mentions a sculpture in the medieval Basilica of St. Mary Magdalene in Vézelay, France. One of its capitals shows a statue of Judas hanging, and another, a statue of a man carrying the suicidal traitor on his back. 
Francis unfoundedly interprets that man to be Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Quote, If you ask me how many people there are in hell, he tells the journalist, I answer with a famous sculpture of the Cathedral of Vazelay. A capital shows Judas hanged and the devil pulling him down, and on the other hand they have the good shepherd Jesus who grabs Judas and takes him back with an ironic smile. Unquote. He goes on to develop his theory. Quote, what does that mean? It means that salvation is stronger than condemnation. That capital is a catechesis that should make us think. God's mercy is always at our side, and God wants always to be with his people, with his children, and not for them to leave him. Unquote. Despite his words' somewhat playful tone, he seems to mean that not even a person who died in mortal sin, who committed suicide in desperation, would have condemned himself and gone to hell. Now, St. Thomas says that, quote, It is just that he who has sinned against God in his own eternity should be punished in God's eternity, unquote. Pope Francis has spoken affectionately of Judas countless times, implying that the traitor was saved, but without stating this clearly, as is his custom. In this sense, Francis has also quoted Father Primo Masolari, 1890-1959, a revolutionary priest who is considered a precursor of Vatican II. Andrea Tornielli, currently director of the Vatican Dicastery for Communication, wrote in 2016 about the Pope's speech, quote, The Pope spoke about an ancient medieval capital depicting Judas on one side and Jesus carrying the dead traitor on his shoulders, unquote. And Tornielli says that Pope Francis quoted the homily on Judas the traitor given by a pioneer of the Second Vatican Council, Don Primo Mazzaroli, parish priest of Bozzolo, northern Italy, on Holy Thursday, 1958. Poor Judas, the priest starts by saying, just what went on in his soul I do not know. He is one of the most mysterious figures in the Passion of the Lord. I won't even try to explain it to you. All I ask is for you to have some mercy on our poor brother Judas. Unquote. That is not the only time that Pope Francis has adopted Father Mazzolari's favorable view of Judas. At the April 8, 2020 Mass service, he stated... What is the mystery of Judas? I don't know. Don Primo Mazzolari explains it better than me. Unquote. The Vatican's unofficial daily, L'Observatore Romano of April 1st, 2021, published the speech by Father Primo Mazzolari, which Francis cited. Among other things, he says, quote, Poor Judas! When receiving his kiss of betrayal in Gethsemane, the Lord answered him with those words that we must not forget. Friend, with a kiss you betray the Son of Man. Friend, this word, which shows you the infinite tenderness of the Lord's charity, 
also makes you understand why I have called him brother at this moment. Unquote. Ancient heresies present Judas as a hero. St. Irenaeus and other church fathers refer to a 2nd century Gnostic heresy known as the Cainites. Like Gnostics in general, they considered Jehovah as an evil god who fights the good god, the supreme principle. Jehovah supposedly created matter, which they consider evil. That is why the Cainites venerated all the characters condemned by Jehovah, starting with Cain. Regarding Judas, they preached that he was the only apostle who understood Jesus' hidden doctrine and, at Jesus' request, handed him over to the Sanhedrin so that with his death the redemption of man would take place. The French theologian, Father G. Bariel, explains Cainite doctrine, quote, By delivering Jesus, Judas assured his condemnation and torture, and at the same time, the triumph of the good God and the salvation of the human race, unquote. It would be impossible to mention in a simple article, or even a book, all the confusion Francis has brought into the bark of Peter. The effort is all the more difficult because he preaches more by his attitudes, way of being and acting, and informal conversations with journalists than by systematic and coherent teaching. However, despite all the confusion, the Church of our Lord Jesus Christ remains firm in her doctrine, holiness, and tradition but it takes the light of faith to see her in all her splendor despite the smoke of Satan enveloping her. We make our own the words of Plinio Correa de Oliveira at the close of his masterpiece, Revolution and Counter-Revolution. Quote, Behold the affirmation of the unvarying confidence of the Catholic soul, which kneels but remains firm amid general convulsion firm with all the firmness of those who, in the storm, and with a strength of soul even greater than it, continue to affirm from the bottom of their heart, Credo in unum, sanctum, catholicum, et apostolicum ecclesium. That is, I believe in the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church, against which, as promised to St. Peter, the gates of hell will never prevail. The main body of this article ends with these sidebar comments. By killing himself, Judas despised God's mercy. Even though he committed the worst of crimes by delivering Jesus to death, Judas could have saved himself if he had had true repentance. Instead, he despaired and committed yet another sin by committing suicide. In doing so, according to St. Augustine, he despised God's mercy. The holy doctor says, Do we justly execrate the deed of Judas, and does truth itself pronounce that by hanging himself he rather aggravated than expiated the guilt of that most iniquitous betrayal, since, by despairing of God's mercy in his sorrow that wrought death, 
he left to himself no place for healing penitence. How much more ought he to abstain from laying violent hands on himself who has nothing worthy of such a punishment? For Judas, when he killed himself, killed a wicked man. But he passed from this life changeable not only with the death of Christ, but with his own. For though he killed himself on account of his crime, his killing himself was another crime. Why then should a man who has done no ill do ill to himself, and by killing himself kill the innocent to escape another's guilty act and perpetuate upon himself a sin of his own, that the sin of another may not be perpetrated on him. Unquote. This concludes Ten Years of Francis, A Disaster, A Catastrophe. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe to your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcasts on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.